The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a college professor. I'm the father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I am also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA and a mom to three girls. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father of two three kids who are all in college, <laughs> the, the husband to a beautiful wife who's also a mechanical engineer from Georgia Tech, and apparently I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> oh, gosh. Why do we have to start like I leave this? the podcast for one week, and I get labeled as a curmudgeon. That was, <laughs> that was nice. I appreciate that, guys. I do. All right. I missed well, you. If you took issue with that, then I sure hope you don't say anything even remotely curmudgeonly over the course of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, what are you up to? I missed the Thursday morning group run today. <laughs> and <laughs> I heard through the grapevine that you were there this morning. And the, 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 the grapevine being Strava. <laughs> 
the grapevine being you texting me, I guess, when you were done running, asking me why weren't you at the Thursday morning run? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, actually, that's not what I texted you. I texted and said, I missed you at the Thursday morning run. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's well, to be clear. Um, neither one of those are the grapevine. <laughs> that's true uh as i feel that's like a, that, that's an important distinction though because i did miss you and i think that's important yeah. to say i wasn't like where were you i was like i missed you that's a totally I, different sentiment i feel like i've said this a few times but one of the hardest things for me since getting covid is just like the exhaustion i cannot uh i do have actual data that shows that i woke up to get up to run early this morning <laughs> but it also shows that i went back to sleep so uh, i just got in a run on the treadmill and uh, otherwise just feeling pretty good. I've kids start to go back to school next week and then the week after. So, but, but yeah, that's pretty soon, good. You say. That's over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yep. So very good. Very good. Yeah. Yep. My, uh, my college classes started back this week. Tuesday was my first day of teaching. And then today, Thursday, as a recording here, I taught three classes, which three classes right in a row is a lot for a college professor to teach in a day. It kind of reminded me of my high school teaching days from back in the day. Um, but yeah, that's the reason why I got up early in order to go to that Thursday run, which is right at the midpoint of my commute. Um, and I'll probably do that several times over the course of the next semester here. So just FYI, Michelle. Um, but I, I'll try to be better about giving you a heads up when I am going to be there so that I can actually lay eyes on you in person, which would be nice, right? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, very good. Speaking of not being curmudgeonly, though, Eric, don't you have a new pair of shoes you're all fired up about? I am super fired up about a new pair of shoes. Now, it's kind of, it's it's, it's interesting that I'm so fired up about these because I have yet to run in them. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I um, due to a, yeah, due to an interesting chain of events, I ended up in, in a pair of endorphin edges. And if you're not familiar with this, if you're a listener that's not familiar with this, the endorphin edge is a uh, ultra trail shoe uh, built on the endorphin line from Saucony. And it is not, it is not the endorphin trail, which if, if anybody remembers that, that was a complete disaster. The shoe delaminated itself while running. Um, this is a complete remake. I think they pulled the trail almost, uh, almost immediately. Yeah. And then I think they actually recalled all the shoes, but, um, this is a really hot shoe. Um, they launched it of course in pink and, uh, <laughs> electric blue and it's, it has a rock plate. It has a carbon plate in it. Again, it's built on the endorphin platform. Um, I put these on when I, when I pulled them out of the box, they feel just like the endorphin speed. And it's, it's sort of like a split between the speed and the pro, um, it's I'm excited and we'll come back to it later. I don't want to say too much more now, but we'll come back to it later because I, I think this may be my ultra shoe. Right. Uh, maybe not in the hundred mile range, but maybe in the 50 mile range, but it could go to the hundred mile range. Also, I'm excited to see what that carbon plate can do for uh, late race, you know, uh, fatigue. So I'm excited to see how that works. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. Do you guys think that there's 52 new pair of shoes per year between the three of us? Like, do we have a new pair of shoe per week here or less? Maybe I only have 15 pairs of shoes in my current, um, you know, running lineup. George has 15 <laughs> pairs of nitro deviates waiting okay, to well, be I was going to say, let's, <laughs> let, let's define the parameters here. If I buy a pair of shoes, that's not actually a new pair of shoes that I'm not running, but I'm like buying a backup. Does that count? Because because I've been stockpiling yes, that counts. deviate nitros, given the fact that the deviate nitro two, which is appearing to be a significant redesign is coming out sooner rather than later. Um, so like, does that count? It just seems like we do this around the table intro. We could have like a shoe of the week that could come right after it. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually on board with that. That sounds lovely. Um, very good. Anyway, found a new I, way uh, to spend some of uh, SlayRx's sponsorship cash. I'd like <laughs> no. to try a pair of the the pink version of the shoe that Eric's talking about. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm gonna let him whoa, whoa, run. Whoa, whoa. You're about first. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. You're fair. about to dip your toes back into the endorphin line. Oh, I mean, I don't have a problem. Well, I don't like the way the shift looks like it's an aesthetic thing. I don't like the way my legs look in it. I love the speed and I just don't find the pro works well for me after about the half marathon distance. So I'm okay. not anti-Saucony endorphin line. Okay, okay. The first time they tried the trail shoe, that was a disaster, but they pulled it right away because it basically disintegrated <laughs> um, in use. So yeah, I'm game to try. 
All right. So. All right. Well, it's, it is, also, a I'll, I'll tell everybody it's a $200 shoe. That's a pretty expensive shoe. Um, like I said, through a chain of events, I did not spend $200 for that shoe. Um, I, I would events. have a hard time spending $200 for a pair of shoes because I haven't done that in so long. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm again, I'm excited. We'll talk more about it later. Now, along those lines of trail running, I will point out that uh, Grace and Melissa have come back from Colorado. And what's really funny is Michelle's going to love this. While in Colorado, Grace they didn't pitched, run. No, no. That Grace pitched that because they went to Leadville, and Grace said, "Hey, Dad, um, can you look up what it require what it you is required to get into the Leadville 100? Because I think I really want to run that." Awesome. And what she realized, she went to the Leadville store, the Leadville 100 store, or whatever. And what caused her to think about this is this guy said, well, if you run any of the qualifiers, A, you're, if you finish, you're automatically in the race. And B, if you finish the Leadville 100, you will automatically win your age group because nobody 18 or 19 runs any of the qualifiers or the race itself. So she, we're looking at the Leadville Marathon, the Silver Rush 50, um, all of those to see which one fits our schedule. And that, so we're looking she has not said she's not gonna like try to still get into bad water but we are looking and i have like 10 tabs open up because it's not the simplest thing to navigate how to get into the leadville 100 and if she's running the leadville 100 i've got to figure out how to get into it too so not not to run with her we've we made that very clear but we are not going out there um just for her to run that and and not for me to run that i think you might i don't be. understand did you guys <laughs> did you like just discover leadville like is this no. are you just like <laughs> no, new no, no. to that, the ultra running scene that is a great that is a great question i think we've actually talked about this on a previous podcast where that is the epic race that i've always wanted to run and i said well i'm just going to put that on the back burner it is yeah what are you talking about Do i, I know that on the michelle's i didn't know it was yours it is We've both talked about this. Okay. The reason why I put it on the back burner is we were trying to get Grace to Badwater before she was 20. Mm. So I said, all right, so that that's our plan there. Now, if she says she wants to run Leadville, then yeah. I, so. I'd like to see your spreadsheet, but I also need to understand what your plan is for the altitude component of Leadville. Uh, go out. Suffer? So at least right before? Part of, it, part of it will be to suffer. Uh, that's going to be... I mean, way. you either have to have like three to six weeks or you just go out the day before. I don't think those are the only two options. Like going out four or five days early is apparently like the worst thing that you can do. Right. I'm actually thinking more like a couple of weeks early at least. Um, but, you know, work schedules and all of that are going to play into this. So th that's why I said we're, we are looking at how this could work. We're trying to figure this out as a family. I shouldn't have left Melissa out. She's interested in this as well. So I'm also interested. <laughs> <laughs> your, your other daughter, Michelle, is also interested. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, good. I could so. be his sister. I can't be his daughter. <laughs> God. His, his, yeah. Your other teenager, Michelle, is also okay, interested. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Not saying I, anything I, negative. That's so, really funny, George. <laughs> Thank you so much for your comment. Um, uh, I, I, I do think it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I made a joke to San Diego about, about uh, she might be running it by herself because you'll actually have to get in. And, and it's not going to be quite as straightforward for you to get in. So, so, um, you know, I, I know that you've already been looking at it and I know that you have your spreadsheet, but I mean, to the degree that y'all actually commit to doing this, I think it'll be fun to follow you over the course of the next year, as you try to qualify, as you try to get in, um, Leadville's this weekend. And so it's a year from this weekend, right, Michelle? Yeah. Leadville's this weekend. So, so just for, for the listeners that haven't looked into this, the, the different methods you can get in is you can qualify, get a ticket by winning your age group in one of their races. And I, there's three or four races you can run to get in. Um, the second thing you can do is run one of those races and then get picked up in the lottery because it just kind of rolls down the hill. So if, if nobody okay. stays at the end of the race, you don't necessarily have to win your age group. It'll keep rolling down. Like Kona. Yep. And, um, and the number of tickets they give per race changes. So, um, then they have like the general lottery that you can just put yourself in or you can put yourself in as a group and either you all get in or, or nobody gets in. And I haven't figured out how they do that, whether they do that as like they put you in as one entry 
or not. I, I'm not 100% on that. But there's a couple other options where you assure yourself a spot. And those are you go to their camp. Um, they have a camp. I think it's like $1,350 to go to their camp. It's it's close enough to the race itself that you're getting out there. You can acclimate and then you can run the race following the camp. Um, and then the last cool. option, which a lot of these races have, is a charity spot. And if you're a if you're someone who is already donating to charity, you know you've already allocated some of your income for charity. Then I don't see why you wouldn't apply it towards something like that. Now those aren't a sure bet either. You have to actually work with the charity and and, and get admitted. But there are multiple paths to getting into Leadville 100. So the camp the camp one. Did you say that the camps are immediately prior to Leadville itself? And so you yeah, go to the, the camp, camp is like six weeks out. But if you go out there at the end of June and you participate in the camp, then most people just stay if you're coming from, if you're not at altitude already. Yeah, they have a whole schedule. They run the, they run the route, sections of the route. They've got like local people, veterans of the race. I mean, it's pretty cool. It's a whole thing. I'm super oh, jealous. I was going to say, camp. I can see the jealousy welling up in Michelle right now. <laughs> it's all right. One of these days, I got a few more. I got to make get all my kids to sleepaway camp or college or all of that at the same time. So, <laughs> very cool, very cool. I'm excited for you. I, I, th I think that'll be fun to kind of follow along as you uh, as you go about that. I am uh, far more supportive of you and Grace going after a Leadville slot than I am about Grace doing Badwater, um, uh, given how how despicably the the race director of Badwater has behaved over the course of the past few weeks here so <laughs> nice segue let's let's not get into that let's let's it's yeah I, if anybody wants to talk about it I'm happy to talk about it off the podcast I have lots of opinions <laughs> another way to potentially train for the Leadville marathon and ultra marathon is to go to Elemental Altitude, friend of the podcast, who we've had on the podcast before, uh, and train in their hypoxic room. Are you going to do that? <laughs> what makes you think I might actually be doing that here ahead of the London Marathon? Um, I mean, just curious. <laughs> uh, I am, in fact, going to be doing that tomorrow. Um, I, uh, I've booked a few sessions between now and the London Marathon, and then if it goes well, maybe I'll book a few more. But but yeah, I'll be going in at uh, tomorrow around midday and doing a workout on their treadmill at 10,000 feet of altitude. And so we'll see how that goes. What is the like, just to like get the effect of training at altitude? Yeah. And so it's funny, you know, we had Chuck Sims um, from Elemental Altitude on here talking about it um, a year or so ago. And he was more than that, actually, uh, a couple of years ago. And he was talking about getting altitude training um, and, and how that can deepen some of your fitness gains. Um, and I asked him at the time, I said, I thought the whole idea was that you live high and train low, not that you live low and train high. Um, and essentially what he said is that any amount of altitude that you can get is a good amount of altitude. Um, and so if you can only live low and train high, which is what they're offering there, um, then that's better than just living low and training low. Um, and so this is just me testing it and trying out and seeing whether in fact it, it does anything to, to boost my preparation for the London marathon. I'm just trying to get the most out of the sessions. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We'll see. So how many sessions do you have scheduled between now and London? Four. And what happens if you get there and you have this workout that you want to do on the treadmill and you can't hit the paces that you want to hit at all? Do you have, is it like adjusted for 10,000 feet already? Or like, what does that look like for you? I'm not sure. Um, so I'm, you all, you both will appreciate it. I'm going to do a Michigan. Um, oh. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. <laughs> A workout that the, the, the three of us have done together before that we did last uh, December. Um, and so I'm going to do a Michigan on the treadmill um, because I wanted to do some punchy stuff, but also some 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 tempo stuff. And so that that, that seems to fit well. Um, and uh, and we'll see. I don't expect to be able to hit. Obviously, I don't expect to be able to hit the same paces I would be able to hit on the treadmill in my house or that I would be able to hit outside. I don't expect that at all. Um, but I'm going to kind of feel it out. Um, I've always been comfortable at running by feel. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. I think after I have this first one and I get a sense for how I feel during it and afterwards, I'll have a better sense of, of what I'm 
exactly capable of doing when I go back there again in two weeks. So we'll see. I feel like that's I pretty cool. Michelle really likes running by feel too. She really prefers when a coach gives her like, um, Hey, run it. <laughs> you know, you know, let's, let's actually talk about this for a second. I, uh, over a period of years somehow got it into my mind that 45 minute runs are like, we don't like those. We don't like those. Right. You don't I was like never, those for sure. And I, I actually, I don't blame pres- you. I don't much like you, them either, but keep going. I was never prescribed them and mm-hmm. you don't like them. Mm-hmm. And now when I, when I'm like, maybe I'll just run 45 minutes, I can never figure out, should I just go like 40 or should I go up to 50? And I, I need to like untrain myself. Uh, yeah. I like paces and I, and I need to learn to be okay with 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah i don't blame you i don't much like 45 minute runs either. why do why why what, what was what was behind that what i mean was i behind just me I, giving I them to you or what was no, behind you not liking them no i feel like you never gave 45 minute runs mm-hmm. like you don't like them you don't no, give them I, right. I didn't give them to you because you told me you didn't like them <laughs> Wait, what? <I> this <laughs> is so fun i, thought I don't that like was them either but i i didn't i don't like them either but you told me that you don't like them you were like it's so stupid i'm out there for 45 minutes i might as well be out there for an hour uh, if you t- you actually told me one time that you felt like it was a waste of time to only go out there for 45 minutes and so after that i quit giving you 45 minute runs but perhaps i was sensitive to that argument and you made it because i kind of feel the same way <laughs> oh, this is so confusing now <laughs> So I've never loved 45 minute runs either. Um, It's kind of like doing a 1200 meter repeat on the track or like a 40 second repeat on the bike. It's like, it's too long to be short and too short to be long. Yeah. Um, There's just something so wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. It it just fits into that, that sort of twilight zone where, where uh, you have to commit to it and be out there for a while, but at the same time, you don't really feel like you're actually getting anywhere because you're not out there long enough. I, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. So yeah. that's the all reason why they didn't show up uh... on your schedule all that much. Cause I knew <laughs> whenever I put them on your schedule, even though they were a stepping stone to getting to the one hour runs, that right. I was probably going to hear it from you in training peaks. The funny <laughs> thing is, is now I'm trying to go a little bit faster on the treadmill. So if I'm right at like that nine minute pace, and then the problem is 45 mm-hmm. minutes is this perfect stop, mm-hmm. but I don't like it. So it's very, it's very complicated. So you're, you're, you're trying to undo all the disdain that you have for the 45 minute run. Yeah. I'm trying to like do cognitive behavioral therapy on, you know, myself. (laughs) I don't know. So I feel you on that. No, I feel you on that because, because we, we develop these habits, these ideas about what's appropriate and what's long enough and all that sort of thing. You know, I, I, on a couple of different occasions over the course of the past few years, including very recently have worked walk breaks into my runs. And so have done like uh, run walks and, and Jim Vance, who wrote a book called running with power and who coaches pro athletes, including pro triathletes um, uh, puts them in for all of his super high level athletes. Um, and I, I, I wrote, reached out to him one time. And I said, why do you do that? And he said, well, it's, it's safer. It's healthier. Um, and I don't disagree with him on that. I think he's probably right, but I could not, bring myself to continue doing it once I got in good enough shape to, to actually run a full 45 minutes or an hour long run. Cause I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Yeah. You know? Okay. This is like, that was like a major digression back to the Michigan at altitude. You're okay. not sure of the exact paces. How are you going to for sure get the benefit of the workout that you're supposed to get from it? If you don't really know what to run the intervals at. Like it's very specific. I have a neighborhood. Goal is, but one of your goals, I'm assuming, George, because you do think about these things, is for this first episode to figure out what it feels like Mm -hmm. and what you can accomplish. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I definitely think I'll be able to to zero in on the paces a little bit more precisely after this first one. Um, But but more than that, I think that. Uh, and this is not true for everybody on the treadmill. And we've talked about that before, about that before here on the, on the podcast, but I think I'm, I'm a pretty experienced treadmill runner. And so I, I know the way that efforts are supposed to feel on the treadmill and the way that efforts are supposed to feel generally. Um, and so I'll be able to actually put in at least in the ballpark of the right effort level 
such that I'll gain the benefits of the workout. Maybe not the maximum benefits of the workout, but close enough to where I'll be able to gain a lot of benefit from the workout just by going by feel. Um, and so, so I, so I think I'll be fine. I think I'll be okay. Now, when we come back next week and I've already done it, I might be like, yo, Michelle, you were totally right. There is no way I could do that workout um, because I didn't do the right paces. I totally fell apart or I went way too slow or way too fast. I could be totally wrong about that, but I'm thinking, I'm presuming that, that um, my running instincts, which I've spent 30 years honing will, will still hold up even at altitude on a treadmill, but we'll see. It's pretty cool. I'm excited to hear about this experience. Uh, so for sure. Um, you know, when we had Chuck on the podcast a couple of years ago, um, I, you know, we, we talked about it and I actually went in and did a bike workout there. Um, and I'm more interested to try a run workout there for exactly the reasons that you're describing. I think I'll get a better sense of exactly the way that it feels. The other kind of X factor going into this is that I'm seven weeks out from the London marathon at this point, and I'm carrying a lot of fatigue right now. Like my run this morning did not feel very good. And so I'm just kind of beaten up at this point. I'm just carrying a lot of accumulated fatigue from run to run. And I'm doing that on purpose because I'm seven weeks out from a marathon. But when you're in that sort of state, you just don't feel great all the time. But are you getting more fit? Like, is it working? Mm -hmm. I think so. I can't yeah. believe we're only seven weeks out. Is this really yeah. happening? What, what's what I, I was talking to some people about that this morning. What's more difficult is that four weeks from right now, <laughs> I'm going to be on my way to North Carolina for the Blue Ridge Relay, which makes it feel just that much smaller of a window. Because I feel like I got to be ready to run London before the Blue Ridge Relay, even though I don't totally. Um, but it feels extremely close to me right now. <laughs> I feel like I need I to ring feel a like bell. I have a lot of time. I need to ring a bell because we brought the Blue Ridge. <laughs> That's right. Just well done, George. I saw that coming. I don't know, guys. It's pretty lame that they don't sponsor this podcast already. <laughs> I was thinking, Eric, and tell me what you think about this. I was thinking that perhaps um, we should try and get some audio from the race director and maybe even from some of the other teams over oh, the course of the race. That'd be so easy. Year. I can so think of, of one team in particular I'd love you to get audio from. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, Grant Fisher's team that's going to be back again this year. Why so, not? <laughs> average yeah. pace expected 510 yeah. per mile. Yeah, yeah. Over that... the course of hills and mountains and everything else. Oh, this is a – this is. can we talk about Grant Fisher now? Can we segue to talk about Grant Fisher? I We're not going to talk about Grant Fisher just yet because before we talk about Grant Fisher, we're going to talk about Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> all right so malcolm gladwell and i promise we'll come back to grant fisher because i want to talk about grant fisher too because what he did in monaco was absolutely mind-blowing um not nearly as mind-blowing as what he and his buddies are going to do at the blue ridge relay but mind-blowing nonetheless um and so um but let's talk first about malcolm gladwell so malcolm gladwell went on the sidious mag podcast um just a couple of weeks ago um, it was during the world championship. Um, they were doing like daily podcasts from Eugene, Oregon. Um, and Malcolm Gladwell, the Canadian public intellectual, lives in New York City, uh, author of The Tipping Point, author of Outliers, uh, Revisionist History Podcast, all that stuff. Um, he had a conversation with him about multiple things and including his proposal to actually fix high school cross country. Um, now, in his mind, the big problem with high school cross country in the United States was the fact that only like five, six, seven people score um, and that they score by points rather than scoring by time. He proposed that, that instead we extend the scoring out to 20 people per team and that we start doing scoring based on time rather than based on place. Um, and the thinking there, and I'll let y'all talk a little bit more about the thinking there, but the thinking there was that, that you would have a larger number of young people on each team that would have more skin in the game. Um, you'd have a larger number of people who are actually contributing to the success or the failure of the team um, and thereby getting to reap the benefits of, of competition. Um, what do y'all think? I think if you, if you focus this on strictly what he says the goal is, then his plan works. But I, I think we can take it apart and then rebuild something a little better based on his conversation with the Sidious Mag guys. Um, he, he, he mentions that high school, uh, high school sports, they have three purposes. 
Number one, he in says. In his mind, they have three purposes. Yes, in his mind. I said, he says, yeah. Mm -hmm. To prepare those with elite ability for post-high school competition. That's number one. Um, to provide an opportunity for students to experience the joy that comes from exercise and competition. And number three is to lay down lifelong habits of physical activity. Now, he creates Gladwell's law. And he says it's an iron law. And he says, in any sporting endeavor, elite achievement comes at the cost of mass participation. And I think, you know, it, if you were to read number two and three to provide the opportunity for students to experience, experience the joy that comes from exercise and competition and to lay down long life habits of physical activity, if a kid's not interested in being an elite athlete or a kid's not, you know, at the top of the pack in cross country, maybe they just don't care about the fact that they're not in the top seven and get to run in the varsity race, right? So like it, it, his mindset sets up what he thinks is the better solution as opposed to looking at the individuals actually participating in cross country and what their motivations are. Does that make sense? I see I see you nodding, George. It, it does, yeah. Um, because I think you're totally right. And I think you're, you're, you're right that he's presuming that the people that are not in the top seven would like to be in the top seven and and they would like to have the pressure of scoring and they would like to be contributing to the success or the failure of the team and in right. fact that's not necessarily true um if in fact somebody was going to truly figure out well, let's figure out how to get more people involved go talk to the folks who are involved but don't actually score see what motivates them and try to to try to accentuate those things and extend those things to a wider number of people um, but yeah i agree with you i don't think that that a lot of the people who are less competitive in cross country yearn to be more competitive and if you made them a part of the scoring team that would that would make a whole lot of difference for them yeah i agree and you know, I mentioned to you guys that my high school cross country team, so my school was one year old when I started as a freshman. Um, our first year, I think we had 35 or 40 people on the cross country team. And that was my first experience with competitive running. By the second year, we had 100 people on the cross country team. I think we peaked at about 120. I was, I was thinking back about this. And it's because our coach said, come one, come all. I don't care if you're coming to get ready for the soccer season and you're, you're, you're going to stop, you know, at some point in the season to get back into soccer. He said, I, 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 he, he, he wanted as many runners as he could get out there. Cause I think his thoughts were, I'm laying down long life habits of physical activity. I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to compete. If you want it, it's an opportunity. It's not a requirement, but what the article did do for me and it really made me think about this. You know, I'm a coach and a runner and I talk about it with anybody who will listen. The person in the office that says, hey, my knee hurts a little bit. You're a, you're a you coach and you run. What should I do about my knee? You know, first thing I do is give them a disclaimer. But the second thing I do is give them the knowledge I have because I love to see people run. I don't care how fast, how slow, how short, how long, how many days of the week they run. I think it's a great thing. So. I think that running is an excellent thing to get people into, and I love it. But I'm not sure he's coming at it at the right, the right angle with this. All right, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> Michelle, what do you think? I mean, I feel like it just doesn't take into consideration the way that high school cross country is, the involvement of parents, you know, what happens when kids do get really competitive and they are really at the top, the opportunities that present themselves for college and on. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think that there's, you know, a method to his madness and maybe a truth from it, but I think that the system, the way that it is, I mean, I don't, I don't think we can just completely overhaul it like that. And I don't think it's a total solution to the problem. Um, but I don't know. I, yeah, you say a total Malcolm solution Gladwell's, to the problem. He actually says in the intro to the article that America yeah. has an obesity problem and this is a solution to it. So I think, so that's, mm. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell is for whatever reason appearing all over my life right now. And I can't really figure <laughs> that out, but I feel like the way that he talks and the way that, um, you know, he gives a problem and then he gives a solution. And sometimes it's like, well, if it were that simple, like surely we would have done it by now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Well, 
I'll say this. When I was in high school, I said all the time, why aren't we doing this based on time? You know, well, so cross country races are based on your place. So first place gets one point, second place gets two points. It doesn't matter how far apart those two runners finish. First place gets one point and second place gets two points. And when you add up the scores, it's golf scores. The lowest score wins, right, of the top five runners. So, but I always thought, and Malcolm points this out, and I agree with this. If you want to have more of a team concept, if you want the, the runners winning and coming in first, second, and third and all that, really pushing the runners who come in uh, three, four, and five, use the make times. the scoring based on time. Because then the runner, think about the runner mentality. Hey, I'm sitting in fifth. There's no one behind me. I'm going to coast in. You're fifth on my team. I'm going to coast in. No, you can't coast in. Your team could lose by one second. Every second counts. Every second counts. So I think from a competitive uh, spirit, that's a big deal. And it's not just the kids who come in first place all the time in these cross country races that become the elite athlete that we cheer on down the road, right? They're not fully baked at the end of high school. So pushing that fourth, fifth, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th runner to that level might actually get them further down the road. So you might accomplish more goals than just, you know, team camaraderie by saying, hey, we're going to base this on time instead of basing this on place. I do like that. That's an interesting distinction because um, because when I, when I read his piece, I kind of took them together. I took, okay, so scoring through 20 and adding the time. And do you like it or you dislike it? And so I kind of took those two together, right? And then mm -hmm. ultimately I came to, I, I appreciated the piece, but I thought that for the reasons that we've already described, that I didn't much like the idea because not everybody wants to compete. Not everybody is looking to compete. Um, and, and there are probably potentially people who would maybe decide not to run cross country if they thought that they were going to be contributing potentially to the failure of the team. Um, what's more, not every high school is like your high school, Eric. Not every high school has 35 kids show up in the first year of the high school, right? Totally um, totally my, my, my sister literally started the girls team at Marietta High School and it was her and one other girl that year. Um, when I was in high school, we had 20 people, perhaps my senior year, but before my senior year, we didn't have 20 people at Merida High School to actually field a cross country team. And so we wouldn't even be scoring. There's plenty of schools here in Georgia and throughout the United States that they just don't have that many kids, period. Um, and so, so that would disqualify all of those schools just right off the top. Um, but I didn't think about it. I didn't separate out the, 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 the time thing. Um, and so I do think that's an interesting concept. So maybe we should be doing it by time instead. I can tell you, cross-country purists would not appreciate that at all. <laughs> oh, it'd be awful. I mean, it would, it, it would just change the sport entirely. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the thing about cross-country, I think that's so amazing is, I mean, you can look at times on courses from year to year, but nobody's like, oh, I ran a 359, you know, like they would in the 1500 at Monaco and the you know, cross country has so many different variables. So it's right. just not something that you get to compete by time. It's like time is irrelevant. And it's, I feel like it's, that's, I, I actually think that's one of the reasons why, you know, tenured runners look back and they feel, they always talk about how cross country were some of the best days of their lives or stuff like that. If you start bringing time into it. Um, I do think that articles like this cause us to think about, how can we promote running? How can we get more people involved in it? Uh, just for the standpoint of, you know, long, uh, long life physical habits, um, uh, or from the standpoint of just in increasing the field at races, possibly finding another uh, elite athlete out there. Um, and I think that's really important. And what I thought was great was, and I encourage others to go listen to this, uh, Sidious Mag um, at the World Championships actually interviewed Malcolm Glidewell because he was there. And they had a conversation about a lot of things, um, about how he hates cycling. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's recovering from an injury. And although he's not sponsored by Big Elliptical, as they cause it, he has this Elliptigo bike that makes so much more sense than, than a modern day bike. And it's a very funny conversation. He does talk about, um, he, he starts with talking about legacy of speed, which George talked about in the last podcast. But what he goes into 
is a couple of ideas about how we can promote running in the U.S. And I'll just touch on them quickly. And he kind of says, why don't we follow the model of tennis? We have these epic battles against these heroes that are in the sport for years and years. And we have them at these epic venues. And he, I think he, he kind of jokes about what is more boring than watching tennis? No offense to people who play tennis, but I happen to agree with them. Watching tennis on TV is not really exciting, the actual tennis. But the battle between these two athletes that we have known for years and we will know for years after they're done on the on the grass court or the dirt court it's exciting and the differences in those venues and you can see the entire event running's not like that and he proposes multiple lap races he proposes these venues that are set up for viewing and they're there they're there every year like that, like that place in uh, in in Tallahassee, that that cross country course in at Florida State. Exactly, like it, it is, which is cool. Built. He he actually talks about why don't we have UAVs with cameras on them, following the runners around. Hmm. The technology exists to do this, and he and he says if if we could do this, and I would even say that's the NASCAR model, right? Hmm. That 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 is the um, that is the golf model, right? You can see the whole thing. So why can't we do that for running? And I think that's really awesome. And I think it's a great idea. And I think more people would be interested in the sport and possibly more kids would lace up shoes and go out and run if that was the model. Um, but don't but don't we kind of do that sometimes, though? I mean, and so so what, what so one of my digs on Malcolm Gladwell, generally speaking, is that sometimes he'll speak with authority on things that that he's kind of wrong about. Um and, and so him saying that well, we need to put cameras on UAVs and have them follow the race. Well, I mean, they do that at the NCAA cross country championships and you can watch it online and you see the race unfold and they all go over the splits and they have all the different team scores as it's going along and things like that. I mean, aren't we kind of already doing that? We are now in one venue and that okay. venue is not assured to be the same venue every year. So okay. he's kind of like tying it together and trying to build these epic battles and whatnot. Okay. So, okay. yes, I, I see what you're saying. Okay. You know, uh, of course, tied into this is ours are all our, our events are tied into college sports like that sometimes. And unlike, you know, the European model where it's not really linked to the university, it's more linked to the club mm -hmm. and it could go on. Those battles could go on for 10 years. But I won't get into that. I did. I did want to make one more point. See, and I, I thought, think. All right. So I'm going to jump in. So, I think Perfect. that's actually a more significant and potentially long lasting change to the American sporting model, the Amer American endurance sporting model would be to do what we've read that they do in Japan and we've talked about here and what we've now read that they do in, in Ethiopia, Ethiopia. And, and establish a, a corporate sponsorship team model here to where like, the the company that you work for and the college where I work, they all sponsor teams in the same way that like colleges uh, tend to sponsor teams now um, right. that, 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 that you can continue sort of the, the team competitive process, even after you've gone out of college, even if you're not necessarily going to be a full blown 100 percent sponsored full time professional athlete. Do you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you mentioned on the last podcast that you read a book on uh, soccer economics. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you were talking about soccernomics, if that was the, <laughs> what, is that what the book was? Let's see, let me look it up while you're talking. Let me try well, to remember it, it what it's called. It, do, it doesn't matter, but the, the point is, one of the things in soccernomics that they talk about is how the country of England is surprised every year when they don't win the World Cup. <laughs> this small island nation, that's, small that sounds island like I'm reading in there, yes. Is is surprised every year that they don't win the World Cup. It is soccernomics by Simon Cooper and yeah. Stefan Stramansky. But the country of the United States is not surprised <laughs> when their team does not make it to the Olympics. And he talks about simply the size of the US, the 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 um, affluency of the United States citizen, there is no reason why we do not 
dominate that sport. And the reason we don't is we don't have the structure. Right. You could say the same thing about running. Why sure. is Japan fielding more sub 220 male marathoners than the United States? Many, Why? many more. <laughs> many, many more. I mean, sub 215. Why? So I think that's a very compelling argument. And, and George, I agree with what you're saying there about the, the club system. I think that that would enhance all athletics across the United States. And, and, and that might just be on my mind right now, too, because as I mentioned on the podcast already, I'm reading Runaway Comrade by Bob D. Lamont right now, who um, uh, was running during apartheid South or running in apartheid era South Africa. Um, and he keeps talking about how he had to move from place to place for his job. And every time he moved to a different place, he joined a different club mm -hmm. and, and that club was supportive of him. And he got to know all these people and he did all these various club runs and things like that. And, um, I mean, ITL coaching and performance, um, the sponsor of this podcast, um, is popular amongst a whole lot of people because that's exactly what it has tried to provide. Um, I think people tend to want to find those human connections when it comes to, to, not only their exercise life, but their life in general. That was actually a point brought up in um, Out of Thin Air, mm -hmm. that one of the key components of performance is um, the cohesion, the competition, the the challenge of running with others. And I, I agree with that. I don't think you can find a, a good coach anywhere that won't say a community environment is going to make better athletes in any sport. It's also shot. what Malcolm Gladwell recently said about uh, workplaces in general and why he criticized work from home. And so are we really far, doing this far, far be it for us to mention that, uh, that that Malcolm Gladwell was not also in the news this week for that reason. But that's all we need to mention. <laughs> so I, I'm going to make my very last point that I thought was really cool about this conversation. And then we'll get to talk about Grant Fisher because we've, we'll we've, we've been Grant Fisher. Off, and I know that Michelle's over there chomping at the bit to talk about her yeah. boy Grant Fisher blue ridge relay alumnus my last point and this was so much better i think um of a of a recommendation and and gladwell was just as supportive of it but so much better than that a modest proposal for high school sports i i call it vagabond racing and he tells a story and the 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 guys, uh, the Sidious Mag guys tell their own story also about these two runners um, back in the day whose coach would not let them compete against one another. So they set up this vagabond race where they went off and raced against one another. And um, the guys from Sidious Mag said, oh yeah, you know, Trayvon, Fred and Barbin went out and like they were kicking shoes off in the middle of the street because they wanted a rematch, you know, and all this stuff. And Malcolm says, that's what we need. We need more of that. And what it reminded me of was COVID and how these crazy pop-up races started happening and all the buzz and excitement and, you know, the viewership went through the roof on that stuff. And I don't think it was just because we weren't racing. I don't think it was just because we were shut up in our houses. I think it's because that stuff's cool. That stuff's fun. Um, and I think that more stuff like that, that's just kind of exciting and thrown together could benefit the sport also and get people involved in this sport that we all love. You, so. you, you can have races without having full-blown track meets. Oh right? yeah. They proved um, it. They proved it during COVID. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Right on. Right on. Who, who doesn't like a drag race? <laughs> all right, Michelle, now that we have dissed on traditional track meets, you want to talk about a very traditional track meet in Monaco this past week? Well, Yes, but I just want to make sure, and we don't have to do this now, but you guys have a solid game plan for what happens when you see Grant Fisher at the Blue Ridge Relay four weeks from now. So you can okay. talk about it on your other texts, but just make sure, you know, come back and I need to know the plan because I don't want what occurred last year uh, to happen again this year. Well, let's, so, let's, let's make sure we timing. know what happened last year. What happened this is last year? The best is that, text I've ever recalled in our text thread the, in the, the history the, of our text thread. What happened last year is that I texted you literally from the finish line. The finish line is at Highland Brewing, a and we're out there in this him. field, and we are drinking beer. And I texted you and I said, "There's a dude here that's a dead ringer for Grant Fisher." <laughs> so ridiculous! Oh my god, I. 
How fast did I text back a picture of Grant Fisher at the Blue Ridge Relay? Well, the funniest thing about it is that you texted back and said, everybody knows he's there. Besides the people that are literally there with him. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, well, not everybody. <laughs> I wonder why we wouldn't know. Oh, yeah. We're running a race. We've been in a van for not, 23 not, not hours. checking reels on Instagram. <laughs> we don't have internet coverage. Um, so, so after all this talk about it, you know he's not going to be there. But in my defense, you will recall, do you remember what T-shirt he was wearing when I saw him at the finish line, Michelle? <sighs> Don't say Bowman Track Club because that's what you guessed last time. I would know Grant Fisher if he was wearing a Bowman Track Club T-shirt. He was wearing a Taco Princeton? Bell T-shirt. No, Taco Bell. Taco yeah. Bell. Yeah. So so um, that, that, is, that is my one very thin line of defense is that I was like, no way would an Olympian who just finished fifth in the Olympic 10,000 meters be at this race, standing in this field, wearing a Taco Bell t-shirt. You know why I didn't but know that? Was. Because the pictures that were posted of him running Blue Ridge Relay, like he probably ran more than one stage and he changed the t-shirt. So I never actually saw the Taco okay. Bell picture. But anyways, Grant Fisher just raced in Monaco in the Diamond League. He did not wear a kit with Taco Bell on it. He did wear <laughs> his Bowerman Jack epic. Club kit. That would have been epic. And for those of you guys that don't know, um, worlds are over, but there's still lots of racing left uh, in the Diamond League this season. And historically, Monaco is one of the fastest tracks most people that go there are attempting to break some sort of uh, national record, world record, for sure, personal best. And Grant went out and um, one of the few records, American records, to not have been broken in the last few years, especially, you know, with all of the shoe technology, uh, was the men's uh, 3,000 meters that had previously been set by Bernard Lagat. Uh, it stood for 12 years, 2010, yeah, 2022. Um, so he came in in 728.48 and Lagat's record uh, had been 729. And the time is amazing. The pace per mile is amazing, but he just executed the perfect race. I mean, I for every race I missed at Worlds, um, getting to see this was just awesome. It was, <laughs> it, was yeah. uh, it was just great. So yeah, he's just... You know, it's for all that Bowerman Track Club is or isn't, it seems like, you know, very few of their athletes have been able to just um, remain laser focused on, you know, improvement and really just staying up and competing at the highest stage on the world level. And he's, you know, I mean, he missed worlds in Tokyo. He's missing these medals by tenths of a second, a step on the rail, you know, and this was great to see him, just great to see him break that record. Um it'll just be great. I mean he's yeah got he, world he, and Olympic medals in him. I, I hope he I hope we get to see that from him. He's just fun to follow. Yeah. No, it, it was it was a great race. I watched the replay um and and it was a great race to watch. Uh, and I was struck by two things. Number one, so the pacers went out and, you know, in order to run under 730, that's 60 seconds per lap per 400. Um, and and just to watch people running at that speed for nearly two miles in and of itself is mind blowing. But this the field was you, you get accustomed to seeing these fields kind of bunched up, you know, the field was not bunched up they were lined out from the very beginning because the race was, it was like a sprint from the gun. It was kind of incredible to watch. You just don't see races that look like that very often at that level. People running that fast and that hard for that long um, was a pretty amazing thing. They were all out there to try and run fast, to try and run good times. Nobody was worried about who was necessarily gonna win the race. Um, and so to see them going after it that way was pretty incredible. The other thing that I kept thinking about was that Grant Fisher was a sub four minute miler when he was in high school. Yeah. Um, and now he has effectively run two sub four minute miles in a row. Um, and that's kind of cool. That's <laughs> you know? pretty amazing progression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I remember when, when, when I first, and I, I did it in college, when, when I first ran two miles at what my high school mile PR was, it was like a big breakthrough for me. I was really, really, really fired up about that, but I didn't run sub four in high school. <laughs> Why not? 
not George. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know why not. Um, so, so it took him a little bit longer to get there, but, but, but he ultimately got there too. And so it was just kind of an amazing thing to think about somebody who ran that fast in high school now running literally twice that far at roughly that same speed at about that same speed. Um, very cool. Very interesting. But that wasn't the only fast race in Monaco. Yeah. So, um, Monaco was a, you know, these diamond leagues, they show for two hours at a time. And I guess a few things stuck out for me. Um, the women's steeple was the same field at worlds, Emma Coburn, Courtney Fryericks and Courtney Waymont. Um, it was a great race for Courtney Waymont. She ran a nine Oh nine. She's now only the third American woman to go under nine ten, second behind, uh, third behind both Courtney Fryericks and Emma Coburn. And that was a season's best for Emma still kind of quite a ways off from, I think where she, where she'd like to be, which obviously is breaking that nine minute barrier. And, um, it sort of feels like if last summer was the summer of Kate Grace, she had that disappointing race at trials and she didn't make the Tokyo team. Um, Heather McLean, you know, new balance, Boston had a similar experience this summer, didn't make a team was really expected to, um, and just went out at Monaco and, a ridiculous PR to run 358 in the 1500. So she becomes probably, I don't know, maybe the ninth or 11th or 12th. I mean, it's not, not very many women have broken American women have broken, uh, have gone under four minutes in the 1500 and to say nothing of the fact that she did it in a race where faith, um, Kip Yegan tried to go after the world record in the 1500 and just missed it ever so narrowly, but so by 0.3 seconds. Oh, I just, I feel like, are we done? Like, is she just the best 1500 meter runner ever? Like, even <laughs> if she doesn't ever get that 0.3 seconds, I mean, I don't like, is there ever going to be anybody better than her? So I don't know. <laughs> probably not. It's, it's, it's funny that you, you, you asked that question because the commentators, when I watched the race, were talking about faith. Kip Yegon is undoubtedly the best 1500 meter runner of all time. Um, except that she doesn't have the world record. I know what. Yeah, and, I hear. And and she got so close to it, but she still doesn't quite have it. She's still yeah. 0.3 seconds behind. So, yeah. And she and she went after it too. Their first 800 was what? 202, something like that. So, um, yeah, the pacer the the, the, the pacer was Allie was Wilson. Sally Wilson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um so I don't remember if she actually went through the 800 right in 202, but it was but Faith had requested that she goes through in 202. So, um yeah, I mean, I think you talk about uh, Shelly Ann Fraser Price, Noah Lyles. I mean, this was this has some good races to go watch on replay if you haven't seen them. <laughs> All right, very good, very good. So strong racing in Monaco and strong racing to come. Didn't uh, which marathons, Michelle, was it that that released their start list this week? Um, yeah. So a few days ago, we got the men's start list for the New York City Marathon. Um, Galen Rupp is running the New York City Marathon. Yeah, Galen Rupp is glutton for a punishment there. I thought that <laughs> <laughs> it was surprising. Um, this is also Abdi is running um, mm -hmm. and he's calling it his farewell marathon. Right. So uh, we just sort of have a problem, I feel like, with American men's marathoning. I don't know what it is, but it's just not so special. You know, there's not, I mean, it's not really nearly, if you look at the women's uh, field that was announced the day after the men's field, it is unbelievable. Like it is going to be just rock solid. You've got uh, all three women, sorry, you've got Sarah Hall and Emma Bates um, that just ran at Worlds going to New York. You've got Des going back to New York. Um, really, I just, the only big names that weren't on there, it feels like are Molly Seidel and we don't, uh, know kind of what's up with her and the therapeutic use exemption she needs for Adderall that as far as we know hasn't been granted and um, Kira D'Amato is not on the New York start list we also just got the Chicago release for the Chicago marathon and Kira's not on that either so it's really interesting to me like where is Kira going in the fall because um, all of her post-world interviews said that she was hoping to run a fall marathon and that she wants to win a major so when is Berlin? Like that's all that's left. Berlin She's not is, going to London. Ber Berlin is the week before London. And so Berlin's only six weeks from Sunday. It's on September 27th, whatever we yeah. that last weekend in September is. So maybe she's not doing a fall. I don't know. Um, but notably going to Chicago is Emily Sisson. So we haven't seen her uh, run since that amazing race of hers at the 
London marathon a few years ago. I don't know. It feels like she's been knocking on the door and trying to get back to the marathon, but just keeps on having these small hiccups, but she, uh, did not go out for the 10 K team this summer so that she could kind of save herself for a fall marathon build. And I do think it's interesting that she's going to Chicago over New York. I think she spoke a lot about, um, how the course in Atlanta was really hard for her. It really beat her up the hills and stuff. So if we look at where she's run really well, I guess it makes sense that she's going to Chicago. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's going to be lots of fun, fast racing. I mean, you're, you're talking trash about the, uh, the men's field at New York. I think it's a solid men's field in New York. I mean, you have the defending champion, Daniel career is going to be there. Oh, I um, mean for the American so, men. Well, for the American men, it's going to be solid as well. Um, I mean, you have, uh, you know, we already mentioned Galen Rupp, of course, but you have Marty Heher, who we've talked about. We have Scott Fobble, your favorite, is going to be here, be there. Um, oh, but, we have yeah. Elkana Cabet is going to be there. You have Leonard Career. You have Jared Ward uh, is going to be there. Mick Akafano is going to be there. So, so no, I think that's going to be a pretty solid, are... pretty solid group there. Ben know, True, this... your boy, who you love, is going to be there. So, so I know, yeah. but these guys, like, they're not. Like they're not on fire like the American women. In terms of, I'm not trying to like diss on American male marathoners. Oh, you totally um, are. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to see Connor Mance debut in the marathon. He's going to be in Chicago, and I think that's that going to be, be fascinating. I, so I, I look forward. To I think he's going to run a 208. I think he's going to debut at 208. Right. Can we put money on that? You want to put money on that? I, I would not bet against that. So, so so I would not bet against that. Uh, unless you gave me some big odds and and you secured the financials with high echelon. Ooh. <laughs> well, before we podcast next time, are we going to know about uh, the race in Asheville? This is not, yeah. I didn't segue I think at all. we I are just... actually. Okay. I think we are. Because the, the deadline is going to be this week, right? I think the deadline is Monday of next week. So, so folks have through the weekend to, to go ahead and put their names in the lottery. And then we're supposed to find out sometime during the week next week. And so hopefully we will. I have a feeling that's how we're going to kick off the podcast next week. Cool. So we've got lots of exciting stuff to look forward to this fall. Chicago, New York, Blue Ridge Relay. What's this other race we pop- London, podcast last London. week to sign up for? <laughs> London, the shut-in, the shut-in Ridge shut in. Trail Race, whatever other mystery race I decide to do in November. So, so fall is always the best time of year for running, for sure. Eric, final word. I'm just excited to be back. You only missed a week. Yep. <laughs> During that week, I was caught a curmudgeon, and I, I... it was a big week. It was a big week. <laughs> No, I, I meant, um, I actually meant be back to running. This is going to be my second. Oh. Week. I did a, I've done a good buildup. I've gotten back into it. I've got strength training going on. This is all leading up to, uh, what could be a pretty epic, uh, Blue Ridge relay for our entire team. Everyone's firing on all cylinders right now. So I'm excited. I'm super excited. I'm glad you brought it up earlier, George. <laughs> no problem. I man. was uh, feeling so good about 36 miles, but 50 miles, man. I don't know how you even do that. I mean, I know I've done that a lot. I just can't figure out how I would get back there. Technically, because Strava and Garmin, the way they do their calculations, it was 49 miles in 0.98. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. my, my, nice my try, Eric. Really pissed me Try off. harder, Eric. <laughs> yeah. I know. You know, the fir- what's your first Good thought? Good job, loser. Yeah. yeah, what is your first thought when you see that? I'm going to put my shoes on and go get that 0.02 exactly. mile. Make a couple of laps up and down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually, I don't know if I've ever done that. Yeah. But Michelle, final word. We are one week closer to fall. It, there was some day this week where the official countdown was 50 days. So I'm, uh, I just, I'm done with the heat. I'm really looking forward to all the fall racing and stuff we talked about to actually come to fruition. So me too. Me too. Um, and of course, with the advent of fall will be the next book of the quarter. So folks, don't forget to read How She Did It by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Um, thanks for being here, Eric. Glad you're back, man. Same here. Thanks, guys. Michelle, thanks for being here. Good night, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. 
Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.